majority of, of the membership of uh, the UN are actually small states. But we have to be very careful to speak about small. And I learned that, that I'm not saying anymore that we are a small state. I'm always saying that we are a smaller state. And uh, the reason is that, uh, I mean, you have countries like uh, Luxembourg, uh, you, have, you have Pacific Island states or Caribbean states, which have much, much less, much, much less people. But it doesn't mean that their impact or the influence of what is happening in the world is smaller. Welcome everyone to this new episode of The Next Page, the podcast of UN Geneva Library and Archives designed to advance the conversation on multilateralism. We are in one of those episodes dedicated to permanent representatives of member states to the UN here in Geneva, and I have the great pleasure and honor to have in the studio with me today the ambassador and permanent representative of Slovakia in the UN, Ambassador Dusan Matulai. So, first of all, welcome to you, Ambassador, and thank you for taking the time. We know you've been permanent representative to the UN for, for Slovakia since September 2021. And prior to this appointment in Geneva, you have been serving as Director General for Economic Cooperation at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in your country. And at some point in your career, we, you were also posted in New York at the United Nations, where That's you were correct. deputy deputy permanent uh, representative. So, again, welcome, and please, you know, introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about yourself, how you became a diplomat, and how you became a permanent representative for your country to the UN. Well, thank you very much, first of all, for the for the kind invitation. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity to present. Uh, my country and uh, the ambitions and, and, and goals of, of, of Slovakia in the UN and in, in global affairs. Me, myself, uh, my, my career has been closely linked to the ministry for 30 years. Uh, I started uh, uh, my diplomatic career in 1992. My background is in, in journalism and uh, political sciences. I pretty much started my, my, my diplomatic career in the context of uh, dissolution of Czechoslovakia when Slovakia was building its, uh, its foreign, foreign service, where I started pretty much very soon after, after 93. I started 92, but 93 I basically like, um, trans, uh, transferred to the, to, the Slovak, to the Slovak foreign service. My kind of like... Um, first uh, love and and first posting was in germany because german is pretty much my first foreign language where i started uh, working as a as a press attaché and uh, worked my career ladder so to say uh, during the throughout the uh, 30 years up to up to the current positions i served uh, among others in russia in uh, new york uh, in ireland and uh, right now i am here in uh, here in in geneva in between in the in the headquarters i was uh, I, i i went through many different departments uh, uh, and uh, and specializations uh, i worked as the as the head of the head of the press department i was the director of the analytical and planning department and Indeed, uh, my last capacity was Director General for Economic Cooperation, which, by the way, has a lot of uh, interlinks also with the agendas which I'm covering here in Geneva. Let's begin with uh, Slovakia as a country. Um, Slovakia has a very long history, a very fascinating history. Its very name reminds us of the geographic expansion of the Slavic uh, population starting back in the 5th century in the heart of uh, Europe, 
where, well, the country that is now Slovakia was basically the center of the Samos Empire at that time. So for those who really have no idea, never been to Slovakia, I wonder how you would present Slovakia and maybe what are the key moments of the history of Slovakia? Well, uh, Slovakia is a, is a young country. We are 30 years old. Uh, Slovakia as an independent state exists from the 1st of January 1993 as a result of a peaceful dissolution of Czechoslovakia. But we are an old nation, so we are a young country, but an old nation. Indeed, as you, as you rightly said, the Slavs and, and the Slavic tribes have been, have been in Europe and in this region from around the, the 5th century. But I think that the... I don't want to go through the through the long and ancient history. I think that the the most important modern part of the Slovak history is the establishment of the common state of Slovaks and Czechs, the Czechoslovak Republic in 1918 as a result of the First World War, uh, and then certainly the so-called uh, tender or velvet revolution in 1989 when uh, when the Czechs and Slovaks said no to the to the communist regime and started to uh, build up their democratic society and then obviously 1993 when Slovakia started its uh, individual individual journey uh, in global affairs and uh, in this in this world when you look at the, the this concept of uh, old nation and young state and we take for example as you said we we could take 1918 as the resurgence of the idea of state of slovakia after the dissolution of the austro-hungarian empire since then slovakia has been at the center of a very dynamic part of Europe that has gone through constant transformation and tensions and reorganizations from the time of the Soviet Union, the time of the European Union, etc. So I really wonder, what is the place of Slovakia in the region now today from a political and even strategic point of view? And what can be said about, you know, this living together with European countries in the in the very heart of modern Europe? Politically, we are a member of the EU and NATO and that defines uh, our European and transatlantic identity. The membership in both organizations brought us back, so to say, to family of nations where we always belonged uh, based on our values and our history, but from which we were torn away uh, not by our own decision. So this is the political or the strategic framework. And geographically, as you can see on the map, we are a landlocked country at the very heart of Europe. Some geographers claim that uh, the very center of Europe actually is in Slovakia, in a small village in central Slovakia called Krahule. Uh, that probably depends where you define the most eastern part of Europe uh, because the northern, southern and western part are pretty clear. But this discussion probably might, might turn into more political and philosophical than geographic contemplation. Uh, the fact is that uh, we are in the center and whichever army marched somewhere in Europe, it had to go almost certainly through Slovakia and that shapes the country to, to some extent too. Regionally, we are a central European state. Middle Europa. In the fantasy world of Tolkien, we would be probably Middle Earth. It is certainly a very historically complex region with various views, which many times uh, divide us. We could have a long and unproductive conversation about the same term. I used Middle Europa, and that's why I tried also in the beginning to avoid to slip too deep into, into the history. 
Um, I mean, there is a famous saying of Churchill that a nation that forgets its past has no future, and um, that is true, and we do remember our history. We were a part of different geopolitical uh, constellation, which are part of our cultural and historic heritage, but um, I also think that it shouldn't be the basis of the relations of today, because I'm also convinced that um, a nation which lives in the history has has no future either. I mean, if you live with your real or alleged injustices, grievances, that is that is not really forward-looking. Because the history was written, uh, we want to live the present and, 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 well, and shape the future. And the snapshot of the, the, the reality of today is that we have uh, friendly relations with all our neighboring countries. We have a very good cooperation. The only uh, tragic, troubled uh, situation which we have is, is on our eastern border with Ukraine due to the Russian aggression against Ukraine. A tragedy not of our or Ukrainian making. And it is heartbreaking to see that um, instead of developing all forms of cooperation, we are confronted daily with, with flows of refugees, mostly vulnerable people, children and women. Um, Slovakia reacted as a a good neighbor and uh, has helped the neighboring country, Ukraine. We opened not only the borders, uh, but more importantly, our hearts. And I really feel proud to see the spontaneous demonstration uh, of solidarity and humanity. We will, we will continue helping as, as long as necessary. When we look at uh, the trajectory of Slovakia in the UN, you said it, uh, Slovakia is 30 years old. And it became a member of uh, the United Nations right from the beginning uh, in, uh, in 1993. So actually this year, you're celebrating 30 years of membership with the UN, which is quite a nice uh, milestone. 30 years is not as long as the UN has been alive, but it's very long. And it's 30 years that I've seen major transformations in, in your region uh, of the world, not to mention the rest, uh, the rest of the world. So I was wondering whether you could already, as permanent representative, form an idea of an assessment of Slovakia's journey inside the UN as a system. Well, I would maybe start with, uh, with a very... <laughs> how should I say, very roots of, of Slovakia's uh, independence, and that was the peaceful dissolution of Czechoslovakia. In the, in the early 90s, this was not something self, self-explanatory and uh, common. We had, we had many, many very difficult, uh, we, we were observing and we could see many very difficult uh, developments, be it in the former Soviet Union or former Yugoslavia, where, where things went uh, not peacefully, to say the least. And I think that this is an important thing, uh, which is kind of like um, the DNA of Slovakia, the peaceful solution, peaceful dissolution. As I said, 1989, when uh, communism was defeated in Czechoslovakia, it was called Velvet or Tender Revolution. And the same way, in the same way, the dissolution of Czechoslovakia was a velvet, peaceful, a tender divorce, if you want so. And in this sense, I think that this is the, the important DNA with which, prerequisite with which Slovakia went uh, in, into global affairs and into intergovernmental, interstate uh, affairs with the notion that things should be solved peacefully within, within the context of the multilateral diplomacy. As a smaller country, for us, it was clear from the get-go that we have to be integrated in the 
global networks. So uh, the membership of the UN was a very clear and logical uh, step to, uh, to make. It was, by the way, to be concrete the 19th of, of January. And what is interesting from the point of view in Geneva, the 19th of January 1993, that was the accession of Slovakia to the UN that happened in New York, obviously. But the membership and, and joining the, the other agencies followed. And uh, from the point of view of Geneva, we basically celebrate the 30th anniversary in all the important agencies here in Geneva, be it WHO, be it, uh, well, Human Rights Council didn't exist at that time in, in the form of today, but all the agencies which, which, which sit here, uh, ILO, um, and you name them, ITU, WIPO, the, the membership of Slovakia in these uh, agencies followed, and uh, it was kind of like the clear understanding from the get-go that Slovakia as a smaller state must be a part of the global cooperation, of the global structures. After UN, obviously, other uh, international organizations followed uh, the, the, the most most important integrational uh, achievements of Slovakia were that we joined uh, the EU and NATO in 2004. By the way, interestingly, Slovakia was the first country of the former Comecon which uh, which introduced euro and, and still we are one of the one of the few in our uh, central european region actually the only one to be precise if i if i take uh, austria out and uh, stay with our neighbors czechia poland and and hungary we are the only one who who has who has euro as a, as a, as a currency so the european european currency uh, so integration that was the, and, and and multilateral diplomacy was the framework where slovakia saw itself uh, from the get-go and this this has been a consensus practically since the start. When you look at where we are now in the history of international relations and the history of the journey of the UN and I'm 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 referring to the now impending SDG summit referring to the last two reports of the intergovernmental panel on climate change so this kind of these two big priorities on the international scene, uh, development, sustainable development, truly sustainable development for the future, and the what we now clearly call openly a climate crisis. When you look at that as a permanent representative of a small country, what is your main concern as a member state to the UN and part of this integrated central European ensemble of, of countries with regard to these big agenda items. How do you view them? Let me help myself here with, uh, with the sport terminology. Sport has been an important and integral part of my life. I used to play volleyball and uh, the, the main wisdom is, and it's probably the main wisdom of all collective sports, you are only as good as your weakest player in the field. The situation in global affairs, I think, is, is quite similar. We, the global world, the UN, if you want so, are one team, and the challenges are the opponent. So we can tackle the big global issues only if we act inclusive, with respect to each other, and in solidarity. The more global the world gets, the more interconnected we are, the more we must cooperate, I mean, no big state can shoulder the challenges of today, no matter how big, mighty and powerful it is, let alone the smaller states. So, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic showed us that you can't create a hermetically closed bubble or impenetrable uh, fortress 
acting together was the only way to get the disease under control. So we must act in solidarity, respect universality of rules, seek sustainable solutions, regardless of size, economic, military, or, or whatever power or feature. I, I know it sounds very generic, uh, but big things are, in a sense, generic. I wanted to circle back to this um, this idea that probably is a value for uh, for Slovakia in international relations, this kind of peaceful solution, peaceful dissolution. And clearly... In the case of the Czechoslovakia state dissolution, this was very, it worked very well. We could see uh, as international relations observers that clearly both the, the, the Czech and the Slovak parties were intent on having, seeking the best peaceful solution. Going back to what the role of Slovakia is in the in the big world of international relations now, I wonder if there are other ways in which this value is promoted by Slovakia, other ways in which, for example, you as a foreign service, all the diplomats of, uh, of your, your country are perhaps using this value, if not the skill, to actually bring this kind of bit of your own wisdom into the game, which is, you know, we, there are solutions that don't need to uh, pass through uh, phases of conflict or even armed conflict. Is this really... Working like that is a value for your country, something that is present in the minds of diplomats around the world? I, I do think so, but uh, let me say it this way. Uh, smaller countries have, have limited capacities. Um, they can't be everywhere and, and cover everything. We have to look for niches and bring up, uh, bring up things where we have the experience, the expertise. We have to be creative, maybe more creative. We have to build coalitions, uh, seek partners. But at the end, never forget that at the end, only you are the master of your own fate. At, at the end, you are on your own. And uh, you mentioned the peaceful dissolution, but there is life after, after any peaceful solution or dissolution. Uh, we got our three minutes of applause, but then the reality hit us and we were on our own. Um, no special treatment or some carte blanche, some, some credit of trust. The, the process itself, the process towards indep independent Slovakia, was met with a lot of skepticism by, by many important partners, to, to say the least. So uh, the life um, of the new state and in the new state was, was not exactly idyllic. S Slovakia had to build a completely new state, uh, new institutions. Czechoslovakia was a centralized state with... Uh, all state institutions um, in, in Prague, and, and we were starting from scratch. In parallel, we were still confronted with uh, a massive transformation, the transition, transition from, from communist economy to a modern market economy, which would be competitive and, and, and functioning in the global world. For instance, the, the early 90s brought in, brought in Slovakia and, and Czechia a very new phenomenon, which we didn't know before, that like unemployment. The communist system was known for artificial employment and all of a sudden uh, people found themselves unemployed. As you know, Czechoslovakia was a part of the so-called Comecon, which was pretty much the anti-EU, the integrational framework of the Soviet Empire. Uh, this all collapsed in the late 80s and early 90s. The production was ineffective, was, was outdated. 
We lost markets, the division of labor between the collapsing Eastern European states was collapsing obviously as well. So this was this was the, the economic struggle. And, and the third struggle was political. The 90s in Slovakia were also about the, the political struggle. The, the building of the democratic institutions and, and processes was was a fight for the very essence and nature of our state and of our democracy. And this was a very painful process and uh, with very little or practically no help from abroad. We had to master it with uh, a lot of our own tears and our own sweat. And we offer this experience and know-how to our partners in Europe, but also in other parts of the world, because this is a unique experience, wisdom, as you, as you called it which we think is authentic, valuable, and, and we want to share it with interested partners. This is indeed uh, incredible to have in the last 30 years gone through the experience of actually building institutions, resilience institutions. Including the diplomatic service, for instance. Including diplomatic service, building uh, democratic institutions and giving citizens uh, you know, what they expect, what they need after such a great moment of destabilization. These are things that in, in Europe, apart from the former Soviet Union countries, date back centuries. So it is indeed... Uh, a great asset as well because it's uh, it's fresh in the institutional memory of the country. It can be offered to other countries. We should not forget that the UN membership is made in majority of small countries. That's correct. Small countries are the largest number in our world. And so one thing that could be interesting for our audience is to hear from you what it means to be a small country in the UN today it means being part of a majority and you can leverage this majority for the priorities of these countries. It means being confronted with great powers, it means feeling alone or feeling vulnerable. How is it to be a small member state? This is a very good question. Um, I would say that um, the basic instinct uh, of small countries is um, to be around the table and not on the menu. And I dare to say that the multilateral system with uh, universal rules is exactly the structure which should avoid it, at least uh, to the maximal possible level. Because this was a big part of the Slovak, Czechoslovak history, tragic history, especially uh, throughout the 20th century. Decisions about us were taken without us. Take, for instance, the uh, Munich Agreement from 1938, it's, it's well known is the occupation uh, of the so-called Sudetenland by, by Hitler's Germany. But for instance, it's, it's little known that the tragic consequence didn't end up just with this occupation, but also in an occupation of large parts of today's Slovakia by Hungary, based on equally shameful international plot called the Vienna Arbitration. In English, it's also sometimes called the Vienna Award. So in a sense, uh, the revanchism, the misuse of the minorities and destruction of the peace architecture after World War was, was awarded. And uh, I must say that the, the analogies with the Russian aggression uh, in Ukraine today are, are quite terrifying. So we should have these uh, mementos in mind, and that's probably the quintessence of, 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 of Churchill's quote, quote, which I mentioned earlier, not to forget your own history, but... We shouldn't build on that. That shouldn't be the base of uh, for today. And not only negative mementos must be remembered. And this brings me to the point, 
where I have to mention that actually today is our national holiday where we celebrate the Slovak national uprising against fascism from uh, 1944. Uh, it was one of the largest, if not the largest, military operation behind the front lines. And we want to project these positive mementos into our identity. This is part of our values. This is our narrative. This is what Slovakia wants to be, what Slovakia aspires to, how Slovakia uh, wants to act in the multilateral diplomacy and what Slovakia wants to give to the world. Unless we say it, our audience would never know that we are actually recording this conversation on 29 August. Today is 29 August. It just brought it up. It's a so coincidence. Yeah. It's a coincidence, but this is uh, a happy coincidence. So on behalf of all the secretariat here, I want to give you the biggest wishes. Thank you very much. And it's actually, it makes this episode even more joyous. I'm very happy about that. You said something very important now. You said what Slovakia wants to give to the world. So... Let's um, tell the audience what is that Slovakia wants to give to the world. What is the dream of Slovakia that you bring to the UN? I, I come back to what you what you actually asked. What I also wanted to clarify: you, you you very very accurately said that the majority of of the membership of uh, the UN are actually small states. But we have to be very careful to speak about small. And I learned that that I am not saying anymore that we are a small state. I'm always saying that we are a smaller state. And the reason is that, uh, I mean, you have countries like uh, Luxembourg, uh, you have you have Pacific Island states or Caribbean states, which have much, much less, much, much less people. But it doesn't mean that their impact or the influence of what is happening in the world is smaller. Actually, interestingly, we have a we have a forum of small states, which is an informal um, working platform for small states. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the ceiling is, is 10 million uh you have to be under 10 million uh, people. And uh, it doesn't mean that the small states should gang up against the big ones. That's that's not the idea behind. But as I said, um, you want to be around the table. Certainly your influence and your capabilities are limited by your size and by maybe by your where you are geographically. If you are, for instance, a Slovakia landlocked country or if you are land an island country, if you are a developing country, and so on and so on. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a voice. And these platforms, and especially this platform, which I'm mentioning, the Forum of Small States, is a very useful place where, where states with very, very different uh, features or, or economic power of political system, of, I don't know, religion or, or, or ethnical composition... Where, where these countries meet and actually find that, well, certainly we can't agree about everything, but, but there are many, many things which, which, which we have in common and we are trying to work there where we can move something together and where we can convince also the big ones that uh, solutions, uh, solutions have to kind of like be inclusive and they should be, they should be good for big, medium, rich, poor and so on and so on. So I think that that should be, and that is the, the quintessence and the art of, art of uh, diplomacy to achieve a balance and equilibrium uh, between all the states regardless of their uh, size, uh, religious, political, economic or, or other, other shape and, and, and form and so on. When you speak about the Forum of Small States, FOSS, mm -hmm. one could easily think you are speaking of the UN. 
you know this 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 process of recognizing the differences and the unity beyond the differences is typical of international uh, institution the way the UN presents itself to the world however the game in the UN is a little bit more complex True. right so that's why there is a need for force because if that wasn't the case then force wouldn't be that you know pressures to to its members so i wonder always for the benefit of our audience if the game at the UN is a little bit more complex than what you experience in the forum of small states then how a small state or a state any state can make itself useful in the UN today how do you go about upholding multilateralism on one hand and being careful that you don't end up on the menu on the other hand well this is this is not only a question for the UN uh, we have many regional organizations integrational structures we, which have their own dynamics and, and diversities and uh, at the end it is about seeking the common den- denominator on the best platform you have at your disposal um, a level of diversity is everywhere take the EU which might seem to many listeners to be a very homogeneous and, and compact block of states but the motto of the EU is actually united in diversity so the diversity within the EU is not only a fact we embrace this fact and despite the diversities we are able to come up with with workable and and, and good solutions such a single market uh, schengen area euro the, the common european currency and i think that that should be the quintessence and ambition of any international organization integrational grouping or platform of cooperation i mean the un is the universal umbrella of multilateral diplomacy and all the other forms of international cooperation reflect on some specific commonalities or other specificities the, we mentioned the force force on the size for instance other organization on on, on geographical proximity uh, some of the organization on 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 religious aspects etc and and this in some sense reminds me to one of the cornerstones uh, and and main principles of the cooperation within the EU it's the so-called subsidiarity principle by the way a german invention uh, germans known for the efficiency uh, it pretty much rules out an intervention when an issue can be uh, dealt with more effectively by the states themselves at national regional local or which whichever level because in the end and that's important to underscore the states are the shareholders of the EU or any platform or international organization and they must be the owners and masters of the processes i wonder if you as we wrap up this episode if you have some key message that you want to give to our audience if there is you know a, a slovak value or 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 a thought that you want to share that you want the audience to take with them you know i'm a fan of uh, different proverbs and and sayings they encapsulate um, a lot of the wisdom and, and and culture of of every nation and my favorite one in slovak is the more languages you speak the more you are a human being or the more times you are a human being one it reflects the small size of slovakia um, 
I mean, we speak a language which uh, maybe some seven million around the world speak. So we have, we have a boutique language. So to speak other languages is a necessity. But the saying also highlights the, the openness and, and respect to other cultures. You want to speak to the world. You have to speak the language of your partner so the others understand. But it also hints something else. Uh, to speak the language and to understand each other are two different things. So you have to speak so the partner understands you and you have to be able to listen and understand what your partner is telling you. I, I hope I, I, I didn't I didn't caught myself in, in too complicated uh, construction. But in a nutshell, it says you have to be open. You must be willing and, and ready to communicate, to speak understandably, but also listen with understanding. So you have to show respect to your partner. Well, and in the end, that is pretty much the quintessence of diplomacy or the art of diplomacy and the art of negotiations. I think this is very powerful. It's a perfect way to to conclude our conversation in this in this episode. Uh, before uh, thanking you, I want to say again our heartfelt wishes for this anniversary. We are we are not only on 29 August, we are on 29 August <laughs> 2023, and so heartfelt wishes to you as a permanent representative to your mission and to everyone in in Slovakia for a long membership in the United Nations. Ambassador Matulai, permanent representative of the Slovak Republic to the UN, thank you so much for taking the time for being with us on the next page. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.